All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to The Exchange. I am so glad you guys are here. Um, if you are new or newer to the church, my name is Josiah. I would love to just say what's up and meet you after. Uh, do me a favor and turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible just so you can follow along with us. Uh, but we'll be in Psalm 1. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. Uh, we'll get you a Bible if you need that. Psalm chapter 1. Let me just share a, a brief uh, announcement, I guess, or what's happening today, just in case you want to mentally prep yourself to rush home after this, uh, which is okay. But we are doing a baptism today after service. Uh, we are going to do a baptism just north of the Deerfield Beach Pier. So right at like 1.30, we're going to gather. We have this giant pop-up tent. You can't miss this. We'll have some people greeting. But we're going to meet right north of the pier uh, at this tent. We're going to talk to some people who are getting baptized. We're going to go to the water and, and just do baptism. And I am looking so forward to this. I think there's four people we know of today who are getting baptized. If you'd like just to come and celebrate and be there, we would love that. Um, baptism is an opportunity for us to simply just follow the command of Christ, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a way for us to publicly declare what God has already done in our lives. And we just get to relate to Jesus in a public manner. So I love baptisms. They're beautiful. Please come. Please celebrate. Cheer. When people get out of the water, we just love you to be there and encourage people. So that's like 1.30, so you have time to rush home, maybe get some to eat, and meet us there, and that will be so much fun. Might want to get there early, get parking, so all that. Um, sweet. Hey, here's what's going on. We started a series two weeks ago that I'm just praying shapes and forms our church's, our church's life uh, for the rest of its existence. It's called spiritual formation. Now, here's kind of the hope and point of this. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a lot of verses that talk about growth. We love growth. We love to talk about growth, growing in character, growing as people, just growing in general. And the question that we don't often ask or maybe get to is how. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Okay, great. How? How do I grow in grace? How do I grow in the knowledge of Jesus? Like, what do we practically do? So spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines or spiritual rhythms or means of grace, whatever you want to call it, is a way for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So here's kind of our working definition. Again, we started this two weeks ago. Uh, spiritual formation is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. You're going to memorize this, have this down by the time we're done. Spiritual formation is being formed by the Spirit inwardly into the likeness of Jesus through timeless practices and disciplines. So this is essentially a series on the spiritual disciplines, getting back to some of the basic things that maybe we've kind of over time, you know, drift from, some things that shape us and form us into who we are as people, into followers of Jesus. And we're going to review this, but there are, we're all formed by something or someone. Um, there's unintentional spiritual formation, and there's intentional spiritual formation. If you've been with us, we've kind of walked through these. Here are some things that unintentionally form us as people. The stories we believe, the different narratives out there, our habits, our relationships, our environment. So we kind of walked through these before. This is what shapes us and who we are today. You all have a different, maybe, narrative you believed about life, sex, intimacy, relationships, forgiveness. Maybe we've all, we've all kind of developed a certain worldview when it comes to that, or maybe stories we've heard, what we see, what we've experienced uh, from our habits that we have just daily that shapes us and form us, our environment, our, our relationships. But here's what we're trying to do today. Here's what we're trying to do in this series. In place of the stories we believe is teaching, 
in place of our habits is practice, in place of our relationships is community, and in place of our environment is the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus offers another way. Jesus says, instead of the narratives you're just getting spewed at you every single day, I offer you teaching. Instead of an environment you hit, that you're in that shapes you at your work and your life and your home, I offer you the Holy Spirit. Instead of relationships that maybe have hurt you or you've hurt others, I offer you the body of Christ as community. You see, all of us are trying to take on the practices and ways of Jesus. So if you've missed the first two weeks, I really want, I just encourage you to go back, listen to the podcast, because now we're going to get into specifics. The first two weeks, we kind of looked big picture. Last week, we talked about the church is basically this. We are practicing the ways of Jesus. We're here to practice the way of Jesus. And so we talked a lot about what's the difference between trying and training. When you try and fail, there's that guilt, there's that shame. We're not trying to be like Jesus. We're training. We're training in the ways of Jesus. We're practicing those disciplines. So when you fail, you're like, okay, let's practice. I got tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll do it differently tomorrow. I'll do it differently the next day. We're not trying. We're training. I just really encourage you to go back to get the big picture of this. Um, we put up, and I want you guys to see this again, because here's what we're going to be walking through now. In light of, like, you have the big picture, we talked about two different forms of practices. There's practices of disengagement and practices of engagement. And both are good and both are necessary. If this is up there, make sure, give me a little head nod. Practices. All right, sweet. Here we go. Uh, you can see this, disengagement. We're going to talk about some of these today. Solitude, silence, fasting, uh, frugality, chastity, secrecy, listening, Sabbath, sacrifice, meditation, engagement, things we're engaging in, worship, celebration, service, prayer, community, confession, forgiveness, submission, generosity, study. There's really no formal list of spiritual disciplines. But as you just read through different... Uh, great men and women of faith throughout the last couple thousand years, here's how they summarize, put these things into practice. We see these things in the life of Jesus, and we want to get back to these things. And so today, specifically, we're going to look at the Christian, uh, or the practice of Christian meditation. The practice of Christian meditation. This might be in there, like, this is like the first one that we're kind of now focusing in on, um, because it might be the most important and the most neglected at the same time or the most misunderstood one at the same time. And so we want to get back to what does it look like when the Bible talks about meditation, what's the difference between, you could say, Eastern meditation, Christian meditation, even though Christianity is an Eastern religion, it started in the Middle East, but we want to look at that and go, what does it look like? What is it, how do we practice it? How do we do it? And listen, here, here's my hope. This, this is for all of us. See, we looked at these dis disciplines because if you're struggling with something like pride, you might need confession, you might need community. If you're, if you're struggling with selfishness, you might need to work on generosity. All, all of these disciplines are like a way to kind of subvert something in our life that's taking over. Uh, meditation, I think, applies for all of us. I don't think it does. If you're struggling with just anxiety, if your mind is scattered, you can't slow down and enjoy things and enjoy people and just enjoy the Lord. If you just are on to the next thing and your heart's very divided, this is a practice we will use just to experience intimacy with the Lord to get a focus again, to not have a scattered mind, but just a single focused mind. And so I'm very excited just to walk through this with you. And I hope that um, the Lord can just bring clarity to this topic. And I'm praying that this is not just like, we're, we're not just trying to go over these for the sake of going over these. Our hope is that every week we'll have a different exercise or practice or discipline. Like, let's put this into practice. Last week's, by the way, was read the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you guys did that. I'm so afraid to ask for hands. I'm not going to do it. Um, but to read through the Sermon on the Mount, to pray through it, to discover one thing that just that, that the teaching of Jesus that just speaks to you in that moment and you want to put it into practice, that was ours. Um, I had mine. Hopefully you have yours. We want to continue in that. And we're going to talk now about this practice. So um, let's do this. We're going to read Psalm chapter 1. And 
we're not going to necessarily go through this verse by verse, but this is going to be like a meditation on meditation. All right, so Psalm chapter 1, you'll see what it is. Verse 1, let's just read it. <laughs> it says, Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Here's what I want to do. We're going to be quiet for like 30 seconds. Just ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. That's it. Say, God, would you speak to me? Help me uh, to see what it is you want me to see this morning. Just want to bow your head, close your eyes, be quiet for 30 seconds and pray. Father, we thank you so much just for, for your word, that it really is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Jesus, I just ask that um, you would just expose those areas in our life that maybe we're still holding on to, that spirit you'd bring healing, they bring clarity, that God, maybe just for believers who've been walking with you in this place for a long time, but have drifted away from the, these practices that we would, our hearts would be just attuned back to it and those who are brand new, maybe those who don't yet believe in you, Jesus, that they would even take on practicing meditation in your word, by your spirit. Jesus, I pray that you bring clarity today to this topic, that we would practice it, that we'd experience freedom from this anxiety, from depression, from loneliness. Jesus, I just ask that um, a beautiful work would take place as we put your word into practice. In the wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. I think you would agree that life, life is loud. Life is very loud. My life is loud. I have a four-year-old and an eight-month-old. My life is extremely loud. South Florida is loud. My wife's like, you're loud. I know, that's true too. Um, but life is just loud. I, I think it's just, it's very distracting where we live. Even when I say, hey, let's be quiet for a little bit. Some of you are like, quiet, that's uncomfortable. And then all you think about is that sound that we got. What's that buzzing sound, right? Like our mind just is not used to this. Uh, I think it's silence is not normal for us. It's bizarre to me how like silence these days, like even in a conversation with people, when the conversation gets quiet, like what do I do? What do I say? Like, maybe you don't say anything. I don't know, right? Like just quiet is so uncomfortable. Uh, the other night this week, I just wanted to go on a walk and, and practice these things I've been reading through and praying through. I just want to go on a walk and be quiet. That's it. I want to go on a walk, be silent, be still, pray a little bit, but just spend a few minutes being quiet. I, as I walk outside, I'm just like, you know, it's night, it's late. I have my like normal like kind of workout clothes on, but I'm walking, and I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like people are gonna think I'm like up to something, 
I'm like, I can't just walk. They're like, he's not sweaty. He's not jogging. He's not, this guy's up this stuff. So I literally went back inside and put headphones in and put nothing on. I just, I had to go back inside, put headphones in. I'm walking around pretending to listen to something because I don't want people to think I was, you're like, decide that is, I know. We just live in a weird time. We're like, even if someone tries to be quiet, you're like, what's wrong? You're like, nothing. I'm just trying to be quiet and be still. You're like, no, something's wrong. You're like, no, it's, we're just not used to it. Like there, I don't know if you've been around this where just someone always has to have noise. It might drive you mad. It drives me mad where like a TV has to be on, music has to be playing. If you go to bed, it's like, you can't be up quiet at bed. Like if you have music or TV or whatever, it's sound. It's just weird. We have to be surrounded with noise. Uh, I was a youth pastor and a few years ago, we had a, a kid walk into youth group and sit in the front row and he had his headphones on. I didn't notice during worship and I get up there and he has his headphones on. He's like jamming. I didn't even start. I go, hey, bro. Like, I didn't even start yet. You didn't even give me a chance, and you're already listening to music. I'm like, take the, I, I don't know. I've never, like, I was so angry to see them. Like, you have to, like, listen to something instead of listening to something? Like, what is that? You know, we just have to be surrounded with noise. And I think the Lord, honestly, just for us, think about South Florida, think about our culture, how we grew up, or maybe how you grew up, how you're living today. I think the Lord is trying to bring us this place of stillness, of quietness, of silence, of solitude, of meditation, of just enjoying Jesus, of getting alone, just trying to get away. Uh, here's what one author said I thought was so good. Listen to this. He said, our fear, our fear of being alone uh, drives us to noise and crowds. We keep up a, contra- a, a constant stream of words, even if they are frivolous. If we hope to move beyond the superficialities of our culture, including our religious culture, we must be willing to go down into the recreating silences, into the inner world of contemplation. One reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we are silent, who will take control? God will take control. But we will never let him take control unless until we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. We're going to talk more about silence and solitude because they are key components of meditation. Um, I wanted today just kind of actually kind of give you the DNA of meditation. It's hard to really describe or define Christian meditation. So I'm going to try to more show you the components of what it looks like. And there will be some kind of, some sort of definitions here and there scattered throughout. Uh, but I want you to kind of see what, it, what the makeup of it, what it looks like, because this is going to be so important. So the question is, obviously, what is meditation? You know, what is meditation? What is the, the practice of Christian meditation? What does this look like? And for me, simply put, it's allowing the Holy Spirit or giving time and room for the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, to just experiencing the voice of God, to hear from him, to be still, to experience God's leadings and promptings. Meditation is a way for us to take the word of God with the spirit of God and just say, Lord, speak and move. Be quiet and be still and listen. I'm not going to read the Bible like I read the newspaper. I'm going to approach it differently. We're going to talk more about that. Um, Here's probably the best working definition or explanation of meditation. And I want you guys to hear this. This is so true, and it's hard, it's hard for me to put into words. Like, what is this? Uh, here's the idea. What happens in meditation is that we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. We're allowing Christ to create an inner sanctuary in the heart. Richard Foster, the guy who wrote about this, did a wonderful piece just on, on Christian meditation. I would encourage you, you can, we have that book in the back if you want to pick it up. But he just goes, it's giving the, just room for God to create a place where we can meet with him inwardly. So 1 Corinthians 6 says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you and I were bought at a price. 1 Corinthians 6, you and I were bought at a price. God did not buy you or buy me with, with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of his son, Jesus. 
And he goes, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. And your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we see this idea that this, our body is literally where God meets us. It's unbelievable. Think about, I really want you to think about this. God used to meet in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, things that were man-made. And the New Testament says God doesn't no longer meet in these spaces that are made by man. He, he meets within us what he created. This is where God wants to commune and meet with us. And that is a beautiful thing. I think of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus is speaking to the churches. And Jesus simply said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, listen to this, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Sometimes we use this verse for like non-believers. Like, do you hear that? Jesus is speaking to the church. He's going, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Just open, I'll come in. I'll dine. I want to commune with you. I want to relate to you. I want to have intimacy with you. I want this to be a perpetual thing, an ongoing thing. You know, I don't know if you have a spot in your house where you try to get alone with God, or a, it's hard in South Florida, maybe for me. Like, I had spots in, when I grew up in California, like, I would try to go get alone. Here, it's so hot. I'm like, oh, I don't know where to go. But I don't know if you have, like, a chair. I don't know if you have something you go to, and, and it's beautiful, and you kind of meet God there, and just be quiet and still, and, and the idea was hopefully, hopefully, you can just do that anywhere. You know, honestly, the, like, theologians write about this, and they go, Christians who practice meditation eventually get to something called contemplation. It's like they're a walking temple. They're constantly aware of the presence of God. They're constantly practicing just communion with God. And that is something we're working towards. That's something you know, I, I attain, like, that is something we practice, just constant meditation anywhere, in any scenario, like, where you can have chaos happening and have that. But it might need to start in quietness at your home, alone, being still. And that is great, and that is absolutely okay. You see, there, there's, I used to be kind of, um, I don't know, I, I used to hear people say a phrase that would frustrate me, and now I like, love it again. So we would tell our kids, and I grew up with this, like, ask Jesus into your heart. And I used to be like this like, biblical obnoxious person, like, well, where's Jesus? In, I don't see that in the Bible. Where does it say, ask Jesus into your heart? You know what I do see? It's, it's Ephesians 3.17. I love this. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, like, I, I talk to my son. It is different. Like, I, I just, I grew up with this. I think I had an overemphasis on this, and then I started, like, I hated this idea of, like, Jesus does not dwell in hearts. What is that? I'm like, no, like, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This idea of meditation is just enjoying that. Do we enjoy that? Do we enjoy that the Spirit of God dwells in us? That Jesus dwells in your heart through faith? That you can have that communion and intimacy with God? So let's just talk about this, all right? So three components today of meditation that I do want us to see, I want us to look at, and we'll dissect and get into, but uh, first thing is this, silence and solitude. Number two, another component that's very necessary is scripture, and the third component is listening. I feel like this is just like the cake mix of meditation. I don't know, um, but it's silence and solitude, scripture, and listening. So let's look at the first thing today, all right? Let's talk about this. Number one, silence and solitude. Um, this was almost its own teaching. I still might make it its own teaching because it's that necessary. You kind of can't have the, the practice of meditation without silence and solitude. And, and you're like, why are they two things? Not Why is this one point? Because you kind of can't separate silence and solitude. They need each other. They are two sides to, to one coin. Like, so it's very hard to say just solitude or to say just silence. You need both silence and solitude. Uh, one person said silence is the way to make solitude a reality. Where do we see this biblical idea of just being still and silent for God? Well, a few places, but here's one. Psalm 62.5, listen to this. I love how he talks to his soul. We'll talk about this. My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. You hear that? He says, soul, you need to be silent. We know Psalm 40, like, be still and know that I'm God. I know that's like a quoted one a lot, but soul, be silent before him. 
this is a, such an important practice for us, to just practice being silent, being still. I know that this can be hard for many of us, but this is just so important in the Christian journey. Henry Nouwen, just a guy, again, who's kind of like one of those leading thinkers of spiritual disciplines, here's what he said. He says, I have never met anyone seriously interested in the spiritual life who did not have a growing desire for silence. Without silence, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. If you're a parent of children, can I get an amen? Like, yes. Like, how many of us just crave, like, just, I need 20 minutes of silence, right? Like, I just need some time. And again, we, we said this, but silence is very uncomfortable. I think sometimes, like, we, we want it, but we really don't. Like, I want silence, but when you get it, you're like, uh, like, what do I do with that? I think we try to avoid it, because when you press into silence, and this is something you'll experience and see, there's almost some dark things revealed in silence, where I think the Lord is actually bringing, showing you some things in your life, like, I don't like this. And it can be painful at first. I think silence, you, you will actually contemplate things we should be contemplating, but haven't in a while. Again, I do think it's an interesting thing in Ecclesiastes where he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of laughter. That's an interesting verse. He's like, it's better to go to a funeral home than to go to a comedy club. Like, what? No. Like, no one's paying tickets to go to a funeral home, right? Like, I don't want to do that. Like, that's terrible. But he says, why? Because the living take it to heart. There's something about being silent. You think about just your life. You think about your brokenness, your humanity. You think about what happens when I die. What's next? What is this all about? Why am I here? And those are some questions I think the enemy would love to not make us ask. Some of you haven't asked that question in a long time. You're like, of course life is about making money and just having self-indulgence and do whatever I want with whoever I want, whenever I want. And God's like, no, no, you need to, there's something bigger I want you to ask. There's another question. There's other questions out there. And silence allows the Lord to move. Guys, do you feel, this is something I hope that the Holy Spirit does. We, we care about things God cares about in silence. Dallas Willard said this. He said, silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does, throwing us upon the stark realities of our life. It reminds us of death, which will cut us off from this world and leave us, leave only us and God. And in that quiet, what if there turns out to be very little and leave only, uh, uh, turns out to be very little to just us and God? Think what it says about the inward emptiness of our lives. If we must always turn on the tape player, this is like the 70s, uh, or radio, <laughs> to, make a sure th to make sure something is happening around us, only silence will allow us life transformation, transforming consecration upon God. Just there's something about silence where we think about eternity and things that actually matter and things that we should care about. And again, here's, I think, how we're programmed. And I want us to hear this. Because I think we're programmed today to be such results-based culture. Like, we must, like, have, we're, like, about, about goals and tasks and accomplishing goals and tasks. And this is hard. It's hard for us to be still because we don't feel like we accomplish anything. I think the thing that a lot of us, like, we always want to be doing something is because, like, we just want to feel like we're accomplishing a lot in life. And sometimes silence reminds you, like, you might not accomplish anything in that moment. It might actually take a while to feel like God's actually producing character. We want things to be done fast. We want character formation to be like a microwave. We do. Like, can't God just make me patient now? You're like, uh, no. <laughs> it's going to take a while. It's going to just take some time. It's going to take some time just in God's presence. So we see this idea first, before we talk about meditation, the key is just silence. And then secondly, solitude. I mean, and they're similar, but they are different. Like, you do need to be silent and quiet and still, but sometimes you just need to pull away 
from just like what's happening and like remove yourself. So a simple like Webster's Dictionary definition of solitude is the quality or state of being alone or remote from society. Like that's okay. That's like, yeah, that's true. Um, I love how Ruth Haley Barton puts it. She says, solitude, listen, solitude is the longing to experience a union with God unmediated by the ways we typically try to relate to God. It is the practice that spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to experience intimacy with God rather than just talking about it. I think we're so guilty of just talking about it. I think at Small Group, we can talk about our time with God. We can talk about our spiritual life rather than just experiencing it, rather than just pulling away and being alone with God. Because Jesus was notorious for solitude. He's like, let's do ministry, and I'm going to go leave. Let's go serve people. I need to go get refreshed. I'm going to throw a few verses up here just so we can see Jesus practicing solitude, silence and solitude. Uh, Here's the first one, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. In Mark 6, 31, Jesus said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. By the way, I love that. Sometimes just rest. It's like Elijah who's like stressing out and God's like, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Here's some bread. Here's some water. Sleep. Sometimes just rest. Uh, Luke 6, 12, it says, in those days, Jesus went to, up to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Matthew 14, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when everything came, now when, when evening came, he was alone there. You see, we just see, again, this idea of Jesus, like I need to pull away. I need to get alone. And this is so key to our spiritual health. Um, guys, I want to, I, I don't know about you, but burnout's a very real thing. People get tired, burn out. You see it happen in the ministry. You see it happen sometimes in the newspapers, just on social media. Like, oh, here's another person who burned out. For me, this is going to be so, I want to, I, by God's grace, I want to be serving my family and serving our church and serving the community and preaching the gospel until either I die or until Jesus comes back. To do that, I'm going to need a lot of solitude. To do that for 30, 40, 50 years, Lord willing, God's grace, I'm going to have to pull away a lot. You're going to have to pull away a lot. Like, this is good. Like, we don't look down on this. We know there's rhythms and there's seasons to ministry. You know, I have some pastor friends who, they have a mandatory Sabbath put in their calendar every seven years. For them, it's like three months. You have to leave. You have to leave. Why? Whether things are good or bad, whether you feel like things are successful or they need you in that moment, like, we're not going to wait till you, it's really bad then. Give you a We're going to just put it in your schedule and your routine. We need those momentarily. We need those daily. We need those yearly. Sometimes it might be like a day retreat once a year. Maybe it's just small little breaks, 25 minutes a day. It's going to look different, but it's something we should be practicing. And daily routines and monthly routines and yearly routines and seven-year routines, this is something we should embrace into our calendar. Guys, I hope, I hope your ho- mindset is endurance. How do we do this for the long game? How do, how do we do this for the long run? It will take silence and solitude to do this for a long time. Would you guys agree? Amen? Yes? All right, maybe not. I'll just read a quote. Um, Yeah, I figured. Uh, Here's what Dallas Willard says. Solitude frees us. Actually, this above all explains its primacy and priority among the disciplines. The normal course of day-to-day human interactions locks us into patterns of feeling, thought, and action that are geared toward a world set against God. Nothing but solitude can allow the development of a freedom from the ingrained behaviors that hinder our integration into God's order. This is something that we will absolutely need just to just get through, to just do life, to do ministry with Jesus. Again, here's something I want to point out amongst solitude. Um, I think hurry is the enemy and the opposite of this. So Jesus was busy. I mean, he did a lot. His schedule was full. But do we see that Jesus was busy but never in a hurry? Jesus had things to do, but people would stop and interrupt him, and he'd be like, yeah, let's talk. 
he was busy, he wasn't in a hurry. I was really challenged by this thought this week because I feel like I can be in a hurry many times and how hurry is just counter to like love. It's very hard to love people when you're always in a hurry. It's very hard to look someone in the eyes and give them your undivided attention when you're like, can you just hurry up? I'm so guilty of this. I think this is one of those things where God's like, I want you to love people well, be present, be in the moment, don't always be in a hurry. If you feel that way, my, maybe silence and solitude is that thing for you. It's that way to get, uh, just get, I guess, away. You know, um, I think in many ways, it's not going to be something catastrophic that maybe takes someone away from their faith, but just a small little thing. It's just kind of the mundaneness of life. It's just something that we, we were overlooking, and it led to someone's downfall. John Ortberg, who just writes, again, a lot about this and been very helpful for me personally, he said this, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. That's not the great danger. It is that we'll become so distracted and so rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. It's not that you're going to renounce your faith, but you just might settle for a mediocre version of your faith. This is the great danger, he says. Are we settling currently for a mediocre version? The idea is silence and solitude is a way for us to get refueled and recharged. You know, one person said, I used to think it was a way to get refueled and like to get out of the rat race so you could enter back in. He goes, but actually it's a way for me just to avoid it altogether. It's not like let's just get refueled and get back into the rat. It's like how do we just realize we're, pl- we're playing a game we shouldn't be playing? We're jumping into this like, craziness of life that I shouldn't jump back into. Maybe the Lord's trying to reconfigure how we spend our time in our lives. So listen, a key to true Christian practice of medication will be silence and solitude. That's just so important. So we'll get that down. So as we get to this more at the end, we're going to talk about you can't really do it unless you're alone, unless you're quiet and still, and you have to have this listening ear. So let's go to number two. Uh, a number, another DNA component of just meditation is simply this, Scripture. Scripture. All right. Number two is scripture. Why don't we read Psalm chapter one again? Psalm chapter one, verse one. Not the whole thing, just a few verses. Psalm one, verse one. Listen to what the psalmist says. Verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he, say the word, say the word, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. All right, blessed is the man. This word blessed is so much more rich than our word. It's almost like, it literally can mean, oh, how happy is the man. Oh, how fulfilled is the man. Oh, how content and just has well-being. Verse 3 says he prosper in whatever he does. Not that there won't be difficult times, not that there won't be dry seasons or painful seasons, but even in those seasons, you can still prosper in what he does. And he goes, that man who's blessed in all he does, delights in the law, meditates on the law day and night. He meditates on the scriptures day and night. He loves the word, knows the word, memorizes the word, comprehends the word, applies the word, meditates on the word, loves, the, does the word, everything you can think of, right? He's like, this is the man who's blessed and prospered what he does. This is so good. He's basically saying you're going to be stable. You're not going to be like the wind. You're not going to be like chaff that's just driven by the wind. There's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, has a source of life, source of water for health. I think really for all of us, the se- you could say, what's the secret to like, are you in the word, connected to the word? Are you drawing your strength from the word and meditating on the word? This will make you like that tree planted by the river water, just that you bring forth life. This is so important when he's talking about scripture and meditation. So let's just talk about this. I I don't know if you've ever asked this question. Why is Psalm 1 Psalm 1? You're like, no, of course not. All right, why is Psalm 1 Psalm 1? Like there's 150 Psalms, and they're not necessarily in any particular order. There's five different books that make up the Psalms. But why is this the first Psalm? 
You know, it's interesting. Psalms is kind of like the Hebrew hymnal. It's the Hebrew book of praises. But Psalms, the, the book of Psalms, and it's always say like, whenever someone says Psalms 1, I don't know why it bugs me. I'm like, it's Psalm 1. It's not like, I'm sorry. But the book of Psalms, again, five books, he- Hebrew praises, Hebrew hymnals. But the idea was this was like, this is a book of prayers. This is people's praying, talking to God. It's just people like maybe venting a little bit. <laughs> being open and honest, transparent. You're seeing their true colors, true emotions in this. And it's very interesting because there's a couple different kinds of prayer. Next week, our topic on, on spiritual formation is prayer, which I can't wait. But there's a couple different versions of prayer. One is this. There's initiating prayer and there's answering prayer. Can you write that down? Initiating prayer and answering prayer. Can you say that with me? Initiating prayer. Say initiating prayer. Say answering prayer. Here, here's the idea. A lot of times we pray, we, we initiate, we start off. We're like, hey, God, help me. My life's pretty bad right now. Like, we start, we start the conversation. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in a conversation with someone where they started off, and you're like, I don't want to be in this conversation. So, like, but if someone's like, yo, so how about those Miami Heat? Like, they got Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler now, and you're like, I don't care about, like, for me, I care. But you're like, I don't care about sports. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, maybe, and it's very hard to change the topic when someone else initiates it. Here's what we do to God. We're like, God, let me go with you. Like, we kind of, like, word throw up on God. I love Ecclesiastes. is like, you are God in heaven. Here I am on earth. I'll let my words be few. Maybe prayer is more about listening than even talking, which we'll talk about more. But there's this idea sometimes of just um, we can try to direct the conversation with God, but what if, what if, here's what meditation is. What if we allowed God to direct the conversation? What if we let God start it off? So for example, we can go to God and be like, God, I'm here to confess this sin. And maybe there's guilt and shame. Maybe there's too much guilt and shame. You never know unless you open the word and let God speak to you. Maybe there's not enough in a sense of like true, like that feeling of true, oh my gosh, I can't believe, I've, I can't believe I keep going back this time and time again. Here's what the word does. The word, initi- like let it be an answering prayer where you're taking in the word of God and God's directing the conversation, God's speaking over you and in response to that, you're going, yeah, Lord, I agree. So here's what meditation is. Let's just say, for example, uh, you read a phrase, my peace, my peace I leave with you. Something Jesus said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave to you. What we can do is read that and like study it and try to exegete it. Peace, peace, shalom, shalom means, and like we'll try to like work it through. And that's, there's not, it's not always a bad thing. We're going to talk about study and, and studying scriptures again soon, a part of this. But here's what meditation is. It's not just you saying, let me exegete this passage. It's like, let me seek to enjoy it live it out, receive it, talk it over to God. God, you say you leave your peace with me. What will that look like? If, tr- you know, if I'm truly a recipient of peace, how would I live my life? Why am I not living my wa- life that way? Why do I seem like an unpeaceful person? Meditation is taking that truth and just tuning it over with God, talking it over with him. Hey God, what would it look like to be a person of peace? Why do we so see so little of it? See, why do we read, we read the Bible like a newspaper? Like, I just want information, give me the download. And rather than just communing and personalizing and just taking this and enjoying it in, do you not notice the psalm where he goes, my soul waits silently for God. Half the psalms you feel like are just, just, they seem crazy, like they're talking to themselves. They're like, soul, hope in God. You better hope in God, soul. I love that. That's meditation. Meditation is just t- like saying, God, here's your word. I want to receive it. I do want to believe it. I want to exercise it. I want to ask questions about it. I want to be silent and wait for you to respond to me. You know, Tim Keller, I think, probably had the best response to meditation, and rather than me trying to, like, say it, here's his words. Please do not miss this. Please do not miss this. Here's what he says about meditation. He says, meditation is getting your heart by sort of the scruff of the neck and looking at it and saying, how should you be if you're that forgiven? How should you live if you're that loved? 
How should you behave if you've been get bought uh, at such an incredible price? Look, soul. Think, soul. Think it out, soul. What are you doing? You're not actually praying to God yet, but you're not just simply studying in a kind of detached way. You're meditating. You're listening and reflecting and communing in your heart. You're thinking out the implications until it begins to speak to you so you can answer God with it. <sighs> so good. There's a side of meditation where you're grabbing your soul by the scruff. Like, soul, why are you not hoping in God? Why do you read the scriptures all the time and it just kind of goes in one ear, out the other? Soul, stop it. Like, there's something about just talking over with the Lord. And it's crazy when you actually do this, when you're not just trying to read to get information, but you're trying to read, to commune, to enjoy, to just listen to the Lord, how you just kind of go about your day differently. You know, I, I want to give you like a practical example. For me, I've been thinking about Proverbs 23, 17. That's been something I've been just meditating on. To not, let not my heart envy sinners, but that just that daily I shall continue to fear the Lord. That's just been something I've been trying to chew on. Why is my heart prone to maybe envy? Why, is some, why, why daily fear the Lord and God, am I fearing you? What does fear look like? What does it fear the Lord? I don't know. My heart's just been reflecting kind of on that passage. Tune it over. I read the book of Jonah recently. Just I wanted to read the entire, it couldn't be, I'm trying to give you examples of this. Um, it can be small things. It could be like big things. I read the book of Jonah, not a big book, but my, I've just been like thinking about the whole book of Jonah. I don't know, like the whole big picture, like all of it's weird to me. You know, when you're, we might, I don't know, I feel like God's directing me to do something with it because there's something about that that I'm, my heart just keeps thinking about and going back to. My, my thing is, it, meditation can look different, but it is just tuning it over, talking it over with the Lord, reflecting, being quiet, being still waiting, asking for the application of it. Um, here's kind of how I, I put it down or try to write it. Uh, meditation allows the Spirit of God to take the Word of God to produce the life of God. Meditation allows the Spirit of God to take the Word of God to produce the life of God. There's two big components in meditation. It's, it's said here. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So, both are so important. Christians, please listen up. In the New Testament, we see these big thoughts. That the Word of God dwells in you and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. Colossians 3.17 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, first of all, get that word in your heart. Hide it in your heart and know it. Get that word. Get, be in the word. Love the word. But get that word in. It dwells in you richly. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says a similar thing but different about the Spirit. It says, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. So, as a believer in Jesus, you have the word of God dwelling in you and you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And here's what meditation is. It's presence and it's meaning. And please don't get lost here. It's presence and it's meaning. Presence without meaning is kind of disturbing. Um, meaning without pr presence is lonely. So for example, when I say presence without meaning is disturbing, if I just had someone standing up here just staring at you guys all the time, you'd be like, yeah, who's that dude? What is that, what is that dude? Is he part of this? Like, if you're just staring at you guys, not, you're like, Josiah, like, what is it? That would be, if you just walked into Starbucks and you like stood in the middle of the store and just like stared at the baristas, and they're like, you waiting for coffee? Like, nope. It's just my presence. You'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so scary. Presence without meaning is disturbing. But meaning without presence is lonely. If you have a love letter from someone who passed away, maybe you might have their words. And you might, it might mean a lot. But without their presence being there, it's very lonely. Think about the Bible in this way. Some of you have, you have the words, but maybe you're just lacking the presence. It's kind of lonely. You read the Bible and you f it's lonely. Some of you, you maybe have the presence that you're aware, but you just don't have the substance. It's just kind of disturbing. 
You see, the idea is the word of God dwells in you, the spirit of God dwells in you, and to produce that commune, that life with God, that intimacy with God, just saying, God, I want, it, I want my life, and I love again how Richard Foster talks about it, I want my life to be that portable sanctuary, just where I go, just you're with me, you're in me, I'm aware of you, I'm constantly aware of you, I'm constantly contemplating you, think, thinking about you in this moment, how would you respond, how would you react, your word is in me, your spirit's in me, it's combined together to create like intimacy and peace and things that are no, no longer theoretical, I get it, church, we get it, the world gets it, they see us sometimes and go, you like love the Bible, you talk about the Bible, but I don't see it in you, and like that's where meditation comes in, like yes, it's sometimes we do quote it or memorize it, but we don't live it and enjoy it and experience it, and that's why we meditate on it. So we can get to the place from information to just uh, get sinking down deep into our heart. It, it does take imagination. It's so bizarre. I know it's weird to say this, but can I tell you, all of the, all of the world has fallen. Everything's fallen. My mind, my heart, everything's fallen. I get that. Um, uh, the, your imagination can be broken. Your imagination can be really wicked and, and do some terrible things. God can also redeem your imagination, just like he redeems everything else. You know, people are like against imagination because they're all for reason, but your, your reason can also be fallen and broken. How you process things can also be fallen broke. I love how God can redeem our imagination. Here's what I mean by this. I mean, when you, medi- when you meditate on scripture, it is being present in the scripture. If you ever do read a passage about, like, let's say Jesus feeding the 5,000, you are there. It's you actually imagine you're that little boy bringing your lunch. It's you actually sitting back and going, I'm so hungry, but I don't want to leave because the teachings of Jesus are so good. It's you trying to like put yourself going like, I'm feeling the grass I'm sitting on. He had to sit in groups of 50s and 100s, it says in the gospels. And you just imagine seeing that. And you're like hearing the love and tone of Jesus. Everyone's hanging on to every word. They don't even care that they're hungry. It's like you're going, I, I, I'm just, just like I've experienced hunger right now, I'm experiencing this hunger for the word of God. See, meditation is literally just, it's that imagination. It's putting yourself there. It's enjoying it. It's just, it's literally be, just chewing on it over and over in just different ways, different capacities. What would Jesus say right now in this moment? How would he say it? How, how would I, how, what would he expect of me once he says it? Just talking or listening. God, what do you, you just said something right now to my heart. What do I do with that? And you're, just, you're waiting for that, and you're just going, okay, I sense that you're leading me to this. I'm going to act upon it now. This is so key and so important. You see, meditation is one of those things where it is different than Eastern meditation. So here's, let me just say this. What is meditation? What is it not? Let's start there. What is it not? Eastern meditation primarily is a way of detachment. It's a way to kind of like let go of the cares of this world, let go, breathe in the good, breathe out the bad. That means nothing. It's, it's a lot of times just like use in ways there's no substance or meaning behind it. Here's what it frustrates me about it. Christian meditation is not about detachment. It's actually about attachment. It's about attaching myself to the word of God by the spirit of God. It's not about emptying myself. It's about filling myself with God's presence and God's spirit. You know, in Eastern meditation, primarily the idea is kind of like you should get remove and get rid of all desires, and that is their chief desire, which is hypocritical, obviously. They're like, oh, my desires have no desires. Like, well, that's your desire. Um, Christianity, you're saying, listen, I'm not, it's not about detachment. It's about being, atta- being attached to the one who created me and knows me and knows how he made me, knows how I'm wired. I want to be attached and connected to him. See, now what do we meditate on? And there's, a f- there's more things than this, I really do believe. Primarily it is the scripture, so let's really look at this really quick. What do we meditate on? Number one is this, the word of God. Number two, the works of God and the wonder of God. I want to encourage you guys, this is not going to be some lengthy thing, but meditate on these three things. We already talked about the word of God. Uh, Psalm 119 says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. All the day. Uh, verse 48, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. What do you meditate on? Meditate on the word. Think it was all the day, all the night, all the night watches. I meditate on your, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God. That word law actually can mean the ways of God, just the commands, the teachings of God. Jesus would even say this, he'd go, um, uh, I tell you something, he'd say, I tell you something from like, the law, and then he quit the Psalms. 
The idea is that just meditating on the word of God itself, having scripture, we talk about that. Meditating, guys, listen, on the works of God on the works of God. Uh, Psalm 8, he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? When I consider, when I meditate you and your work, God. If you've ever just spent some time meditating on the work of God, on just what he's done, how he just speaks and things come into existence, meditate on some of those things. Uh, And meditate on the wonder of God. Not just what he does, but who he is. Meditate on his attributes, on his characteristics. He is faithful, he's just, he's gracious, he's merciful. How can God be just and gracious? Meditate on that. How could God be a God of wrath and a God of love? Meditate on that. Why are both necessary? Why are both important? Why do we overemphasize one over the other? Meditate on that. You're meditating on also just who God is. Another psalm is Psalm 63. When I remember you, you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. I meditate on you, I remember you. I'm just thinking about the wonder of God. The other night, I tried to go into my living room and do this. Late at night, I just walked in there, and I started going, God, I just want to think about your faithfulness and your goodness recently. And I just started thinking about the attributes of God. Within about four minutes, I, my mind was meditating on my finances and lack of it and meditating on this issue, and my child got in trouble at school. And I'm, like, <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. I started off trying to meditate on God and who he is. And my mind, here's where our mind does kind of wander and, and drift to maybe our chief concern, maybe our chief love. And I had to constantly go, God, let, that's not this moment. This moment's not for me to think about those things. It's to think about you. And like you'd have to just, I just pray and beg God, right now in this moment, restore my mindset back to you and who you are. And let me just think about your character. And so I'd go through Exodus 34 when God said to Moses, Moses, I'm compassionate, I'm merciful, I'm long suffering. And I'd be like, God, why do you reveal yourself through attributes? And just ask God a question. That's just meditating on God who he is. Are you guys getting this? Is this tracking a little bit? And this is what we're to meditate on now. So here's lastly, the last component of meditation is listening. Number three is listening. So we're silence, we're in solitude, we're in scripture, and it's so key, and this could have been its own discipline again. All three of these are its own disciplines, but they're all part of meditation, and which is just listening, listening, and going, okay, God, I have your word. I know the context, and it is so key. It's written to this person, this time, this area, this background, okay, but Lord, what are you saying to me? You said to your disciples, you leave them peace, but does that apply to me? Okay, yeah, it does, okay. Like, how do we actually now go listen for the voice of God in those moments? And I think that a lot of us are turned off to the idea of listening to God. I, I don't know, but I am. I, whenever someone sometimes like, you know, God said to me the other day, I'm usually like, red lights go off. Like, because eh, like, I don't, whenever someone says that, I feel like they usually abuse it or misuse it. It's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah is like, no longer say, thus saith the Lord. He's like, I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord. But you can't anymore. There, there's something about when someone maybe abuses that, that I do think has been harmful in the church, and we got to repent of that and know that and be aware of that. People have misused the voice of God to just manipulate others, and that is not okay. Absolutely not. But I think now us, we've gone to another extreme where we don't believe that God can lead us and prompt us. It's interesting, like when you read church fathers and different people throughout history, they, they don't know how to describe this. They're like, they call it maybe promptings, leadings, this just where God just kind of opens your heart to s- just his word and, and moves it in an unexplainable way where you know the direction to walk in. It's almost like an Isaiah where God says, I will, sp- I will speak to you in the ear. This is the way you should go walk in it. God's like promising that. You know, I don't know, I've never, I've never, and I've, it's, again, it's hard when people do talk this way, I've never personally heard the audible voice of God, but I definitely believe I've heard the voice of God. You're like, what? I don't know. I don't know how to explain that either. <laughs> it's like, I haven't heard the voice of God, but I'm like, I so, because you know why? It's something I wouldn't want to do. It's something that's challenging and tough, difficult. It's opposite. It's contrary to my flesh. It's probably going to hurt me, actually. It's probably going to hurt me, my selfishness, my pocketbook, my time, my, en- it's usually like, not the like, most exciting thing, but it's like beautiful. 
Um, I love how John Ortberg says this. He says, I have never heard an audible voice from God, and I did not grow up with that uh, intuitive discernment as to when God was communicating with me. In fact, I've always tended to be suspicious of people who speak easily of such things. I have come to believe that this suspicion is not altogether a good thing. I realize now that if I am to have a relationship with God that is in any sense personal, I must be open to the possibility that sometimes God does speak directly to me. He goes, I need to be open again to this idea. Here's what I'll say. Um, God speaks through us through Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, God who used to speak through prophets of old now speaks to us through the person of Jesus. God speaks to us through the word. According to Hebrews 1 and 2, God has spoken to us through ministering spirits, angels sent forth to minister the word of God. God has spoken through prophecies, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, teaching. God is speaking to us through meditation. Like there, there is many ways, but it's all related to scripture. It'll never contradict scripture. But just there are ways God leads and prompts and moves. And God is still speaking. Why do we think that all of a sudden that God has like laryngitis and can't speak, or he's not talking? Like, you know, oh, that was back for them, and that, it's like, why can't you believe that God still can speak and prompts and move? Meditate on the word. I, I tr- trust me. As you meditate on a passage, you'll be like, okay, Lord, I get it. I get what you're saying to me right now to do. This is what we're trying to embrace and take on. Here's one thing I want to actually read out to you. There's a play, uh, it's called, it's a long name, The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe, I think, it's whatever. Uh, but here's one of the lines in the play that I read in a book. It was so good. This person, like one sand person play, she asked them, why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic? I just thought that was a great <laughs> question. Someone's like, oh, I'm just talking to God. You're like, oh, it's awesome. You're praying. Hey, God's speaking to me. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> like, why can't there just be this sense of like, no, but God through his word and through his just promptings and spirit and just being alone and Meditate on him and his work and his wonder and not in this crazy detached way, but attached to him and his person, that God still speaks. So here's what I want to leave us with. When we talk about um, these practices of Jesus, meditating on the word, we do know that Jesus knew the word, lived the word. He quotes the word nonstop. It's unbelievable. He's on the cross quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was constantly just a man of the word. He is the word. Jesus is the word made flesh. We meditate and think on Jesus. Philippians 4, 8, whatever things are true and noble and lovely and good report, meditate on these things. And so we let our mind meditate on just Jesus and who he is. And so when we talk about this, here's what I want us to to practice this week and, and I hope for the rest of our lives. Meditation, I think, is a lost art. I think that it's difficult. I think it's the first thing to go in our schedule. We just don't see it as important. It's probably the most practical way God can get his word deep into our heart, deep into the nooks and crannies and crevices of God that are in our lives that we don't want to give over to God. I think meditation is a way God's like, I want to get in that area, but you're not letting me get in, so just please like, chew on the word and be silent and still. Please ask me questions. There's this area of your life you don't want to surrender to me, and I want to, I want to press into that why. Why is it that? And so I really want us to be a church that practices this. So here's just... I'm going to try to give you practical discipline for, for meditation, all right? Is it up there? Can we put it up there? Here's what I'm asking you guys to do. It's about 20 to 25 minutes in compl- just total. 20 to 25 minutes. We want to be realistic. We don't want to be uh, unrealistic in this, but I'm going to ask that you spend three to five minutes a day just in quiet. Find that spot. Grab coffee if you need to, whatever, but find that place. Just spend three to five. Just be quiet. Maybe at the end of being quiet, you go, what did I think about? That reveals a lot, all right? Then I would say spend 10 to 15 minutes just of scripture reading. You might want to read, like for me, maybe the whole book of Jonah, or for me sometimes it's three or four verses. But 10 to 15 minutes, you're just reading it. And then you're giving yourself another five minutes of just asking questions, reflecting, talking over. God, why do you say that? Why does it offend me when I read that? Why does that hurt? When I read that, God, I don't like that. I don't like that. Like, talk that over with God. 
God, well, I don't agree with you in this. And just, I want you just to meditate on that. God, what is it you want me to do with this? Why did you write that? Why did you say this? How do I live this out? And then just be quiet again. That's not there, but just be quiet again. As you're reflecting and talking, just be quiet. Pray and close out. Whatever the Lord reveals or presses in. There are times this is really fruitful. There are times it's not. If you feel like for a while it's not fruitful, it doesn't mean you stop. If you feel like there's times where you're pressing into this idea of meditation, you're like, that nah, wasn't really good. Don't stop. We don't try, we practice. We train. And so I'm going to say, just keep practicing that. There's times where I feel like, man, that was really good. Like, and then you walk away with like, that word for the day. It's almost like meditation is going, God, what's the game plan for today? Okay. Awesome. Let's go. And you just spend 20, 25 minutes. Um, none of this is weird. None of this is crazy. None of this is like, oh, just I meditate. This is just, God, I want to be quiet and still in your presence. I want to hear from you. I want to be, and, and here's what I try to do. When I read a scripture that like I ignore and move on, like I like that one. I usually try to go back to that one. I kind of ignore because I'm like, why do I ignore that? God, were you trying to, I just, is my heart's prone to ignore the, the heavier verse. Like, I always want to like cling to the promises versus like, oh, I don't like that. Like, this is a promise I'll keep, but that one, uh-uh. And I'll just say, press into those verses that maybe are difficult and just let the Holy Spirit move and work. Is this practical enough? Is this, is this possible enough? My hope, guys, and this is not just some, I want you to do this in groups. I want you to apply this, like talk in groups throughout this week. You know, hold each other accountable to this. It's not perfect. You will fail. You'll fall, you might miss a day. Doesn't mean you stop doing it for the rest of the week. That's normal. It's okay. Let us be a people that desire to chew on the word, to grab our soul by the collar and say, soul, hope in God, trust in God. What does it mean to be forgiven? Do you know how loved you are, soul? You have no idea how loved you are. Meditate on those things. Give yourself to those things. Amen? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship we're going to worship God through song and praise, and we're going to meditate in a sense now on just the wonder of God, of who he is, maybe an attribute, his love, whatever it might be, but we're going to meditate on God through song, through praise. That's also possible. Let's pray it out, and I'm looking so forward to what the Lord's going to do in groups, groups this week. Let's pray. Father, we just um, are humbled again by the fact that we can open up this book, these 66 books just compiled before, before us, Lord, that we don't have to go far, that's not someone else in a different language that we can understand, Jesus, that your spirit can apply. Lord, we want to be people who meditate on your law, on your word, on your work, on your wonder, just who you are. God, I pray that we would be still. I ask, God, that you would give us a heart for those whose hearts are hurried or rushed like mine. Jesus, show us how to be still. Lord, let's just enjoy you even in worship. Let us not rush, rush worship. Let us just take it in and enjoy you. There's nothing greater than we could be doing than just sitting in and enjoying your presence, Jesus. So we thank you. We pray, pray uh, just in this in your name, Jesus. Amen.